so this morning is going to be a little different than normal because with everything else that we, we did and wanting to have uh, communion together this morning, uh, i got about 15 minutes to share with you this morning, okay? So I'm going to pack it in and we're going to get right to it. I was thinking about the different things that we were talking about this morning. One of the common themes that came up was uh, the theme of the elders. We wanted to kind of honor Paul and Sandy and, and introduce and commission Joe and Jane and talk about Kurt and Kim. And... Um, with this in mind, also being on the doorstep of summer, like people, it's coming, okay? Like it's going to be here, like 80 degrees yesterday, right? I mean, we're getting there. One of these days we'll have summer, but we're coming upon summer, and we're thinking about summer, I want to talk about hospitality. And the reason I want to weave this together, and you'll say, aha, is because uh, one of the qualifications for an elder is hospitality, About a year ago at this time, we were finishing up this series on hospitality, redemptive inconvenience. This is about a year ago. And one of the messages that I wanted to give was on the text that we're going to look at today. It didn't fit into the series at the time. And so I want to take just a moment with you this morning and look at a a, a verse that talks about hospitality. Because uh, in Wisconsin... I just met a guy this morning who just moved up here from Florida and trying to coach him on the fact that we've got about three good months here, okay? So so um, in Wisconsin, we're on the doorstep of like the time of the year when you can actually really be hospitable. Not that you can't be the other years, the other months of the year, but man, you can see people, right? They're actually not bundled up because of the polar vortex. You can see your neighbors. You might be out taking a walk or a hike, whatever the case might be, you might be having a dinner on the deck or a fire, and, and, and the idea of opening your home up is, for, I know for us, it's a lot easier because our house isn't super big, but when we can do it in the summer, it's like, you, you can hold more people. We've got a deck. We can be outside and let the kids run around screaming, which my neighbors appreciate. So um, with this in mind, hospitality is so important to God that being hospitable is one of the defining marks of leadership in his church. Hospitality is so important to God that it becomes a defining mark of leadership within the context of the family of faith. And when we see this to be true, it means that just because our leaders are to be hospitable doesn't mean that only our leaders are to be hospitable. It means that we are to then model for us as a whole family that we would be people who are intentionally and radically hospitable. Now, to look at this this morning, I want to look at a, uh, a letter called 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is on page eight, nine, uh, 839 in the Brown Bible. So grab a Bible with me uh, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read just three verses, again, page 839 or on your app. Now, 1 Timothy is a, a letter that was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to a young man named Timothy who he had discipled. And Paul had started a church or planted a church in the city of Ephesus. He had been there for a couple, he went there for a couple years, was there, and then he went to other places to plant other churches. And after he left, uh, there was some other leadership that kind of came in and started to influence the Ephesian church in a way that was not following Jesus, not pointing to Jesus. And so what Paul did was he grabbed Timothy, his, the guy he had discipled, and he said, hey, I want to send you on a little mission to go and visit Ephesus. And to kind of straighten things out in Ephesus for me, if you would. And so he sent Timothy off to do that. And after he sent Timothy off, he also sent a couple of letters to kind of help him as he was unfolding the mission before him. And that's what we have in 1 Timothy. One of the things that Paul writes to Timothy is he's like, hey, when you're thinking about leadership, there's some things I want you to keep in mind. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, I want to read these uh, just three, three verses with you. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that was written a long time ago. It was not written to us, but it was written for us 
so that we may be able to learn from it as well. And the things, Father, that are in here are still so relevant to us in leadership today and our whole family. May you speak to us by your spirit through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, it goes on there, but I want to I pause there. And I believe that regardless of whether you're aspiring to be a leader in the family of faith or whether you're not, whether you're man or woman, doesn't, I think these characteristics, these things that we just read, are things that we should all aspire to. Can I get an amen? These are things that we should aspire to. I mean, if you can imagine a boss, a leader, a politician that would live consistently by these things that you read, we'd all say, yeah, I, I respect that individual. I respect that individual. Now, I think as you look at this list, much of it makes sense. Much of it's very obvious for what would be good leadership. For example, Paul writes, he says, uh, an overseer and elder should be above reproach. Now, above reproach means that if someone comes at you, if someone tries to slander you, if someone tries to accuse you of something, they were going to have nothing, there's going to be no basis for the groundings of that, right? And so, so to have someone who's above reproach is, is a really good thing in leadership because you want to be able to have someone who you know isn't going to be uh, undercut because of the way that they live and someone can come call them out on it. One of the, one of the last things that Mike did as lead pastor is he, kind of, he, um, he told us as a staff, and then I asked the elders to do the same thing, is to create what's called a personal integrity statement. I don't know if you've noticed, but in, in the world in general, uh, sometimes leaders really mess things up. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Uh, and that's not just in the world in general. It's also inside the church, both globally and locally. Okay, we're not uh, um, immune to that. And so Mike asked us as a staff team to put together a personal integrity statement. And so what we did as a team is we worked through and prayed through and said, what are some things that we can be doing together as a family to be above reproach, to be, to be really living with integrity? How can we hold each other to those things, be praying for each other in those things? And the elders did the same thing as well. Now, is a p- piece of paper going to do that? No. The Holy Spirit has to to guide us and keep us in those things. But the idea is that we have to be seeking to be above reproach. After all, how many of you want to be like, oh, you know, um, you know that person over there that that is totally horrible to his wife? You know that person who flies off the handle violently? You know, you know that person who nobody trusts? Yeah, we want them to be we want that person to be our leader. We're, We're not going to say that. We're not going to say that we want those people in leadership, although, you know, sometimes that, that does happen. The one thing, though, in this list of qualifications though, that I, I, I do think sticks out as a little surprising is this word hospitable. It, 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 it's kind of like, okay, the, these other elements make some sense, but the word hospitable is kind of like, okay, is it that important? It's almost like if you were to say, well, an elder should also be uh, a responsible driver. Yeah, they probably should, but is it that important? The answer is yes. Hospitality is that important. And if it's this important for us as leaders, it needs to be important for us as a family as well in general. That we need to be people of radical, intentional hospitality. Why is that? You know why? Because God is a hospitable God. 
God is a hospitable God. And um, so when Paul says here, uh, Enola should be hospitable, it means we need to open up our homes, our lives, and our calendars to the outsider. Okay? Now, and, and let me say this to you. That includes those of us and those of you who are introverts. Okay, Paul is not clarifying here, doesn't say just extroverts can do this. If we, if you saw Kurt and Kim, those of you who are from Jackson, you folks can validate this. Kurt and Kim are introverts. Can I get an amen from our Jackson folks? Okay, yeah, so we know Kurt and Kim. Kurt, Kim are introverts. The reason that Kurt said he was so exhausted is because of the hosting. They're constantly hosting people all the time. People coming in and out of their home. Uh, I won't, I won't throw them under the bus by name, but one of our elders now is one of the biggest introverts I've ever met. Uh, and, and yet he and his wife open up their home consistently, though it's not necessarily something that comes natural. It's something that he understands is important because God is a hospitable God. Now, just to make sure it's clear, again, if you are introverts, uh, hospitality doesn't mean that you throw a big party all the time and you're the Fonz. Like, hey, okay, like you don't have to go around glad handing everybody and be like, hey, high five you. Hey, you know, like that's not what hospitality necessarily means. Hospitality might be as as simple as inviting one person who is the outsider. Hospitality means the love of the stranger. Love for the stranger. It doesn't have to be in large crowds. Okay? God is a hospitable God. How do we know this? Because God is hospitable towards those who are outside of his kingdom. God is compassionate and open towards those. See, we who sin, our sin causes us to be displaced from God's family and displaced from God's kingdom. But God is so radically hospitable that he leaves his kingdom to make a way for those of us who are outside of his kingdom and have been displaced to come back in. That's why Jesus told his disciples, he says, before he went to the cross, he says, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. Because God is a radically hospitable God. Last week, I was uh, spending the night overnight at Ben City Church, um, staying with some homeless families who are part of our community here as part of our Family Promise Partner Program. And uh, when we do the overnight shift, you usually don't want to stay there alone, so I usually invite uh, Brother Christ with me to stay with me, or sometimes my kids come, whatever. So I invited a guy to, to, to join me last week. Uh, let's call him Joe, because that was his name. Anyway, so... Uh, so we're, we're kind of doing the overnight thing, and, and so we get everything put away and uh, all the food put away and making sure everyone's got everything that they need, that everyone's in their room, the doors are locked, lights are off, and then we go into our room and we kind of chit-chat and connect for a little while, and then we go to sleep. 3 a.m. comes, and Joe's phone rings. Now, I don't know, I, I, I'm pretty sure all of you in the room, unless you're living on, in third shift world, but like, you get a 3 a.m. phone call, right? It's usually not something that you want to pick up because you're like, this, could, this is not going to be, hey, how's it going? Okay, no, no one's doing that at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. phone calls are usually bad news. In this case, it was Joe's wife, and it was a family emergency. But what was interesting is it wasn't their family's emergency. It was another family that had an emergency because in a different community, there was a young girl who had found herself without a home and without parents and needed emergency placement. And Joe and his wife are on a list of emergency placement people that they can call for that. 
And so here he is, sleeping on the floor, on a mattress, talking to his wife at 3 in the morning, just going, oh, yeah, you know, you can... They've got a, a, a handful of their own biological kids at home. Hey, we're going to shift this, shift that, move some people on the couch for tonight because they're ready to take in a complete stranger at 4 a.m. in the morning. That is, that is a picture of the kind of radical hospitality that reflects the God who is radically hospitable towards us. John Piper, author and pastor, says this. When we practice hospitality, here's what happens. We experience the refreshing joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. So I think a question and a challenge with that is this. Are we conduits? Are you conduits of God's hospitality? And again, I think sometimes we maybe narrowed hospitality down to like even, you know, well, hospitality is when you have people over and you have the really nice plates out, okay, and then you've looked on Pinterest because you want to do that, right? And you've got all that stuff figured out, some little some slate things here and there, and it's all nice. And that can be a glimpse of hospitality, okay? I'm not saying that's not hospitality. Jesus tells a parable of, of a man who invites people to a banquet. So that's, that, that is hospitality, okay? But I think the challenge is even in that to say, okay, how well are we doing it even that? How well are we doing it opening our homes up to even have meals with those who are not like our immediate family or people that we're very comfortable with? How often are we trying to be conduits of God's hospitality? Are we conduits or are we cul-de-sacs? Because we self-decay in God's hospitality if we go home, we close the door to our garage and we hold ourselves up and say, people. <laughs> okay? Sometimes, you know, we go, we get away and, then, and, and we go someplace and we like, got to get away from people. We can become a self-decaying cul-de-sac. I asked one of our sisters in Christ here and her, and her husband um, who lived this out really well here in our midst why they do what they do and here's what she wrote she said opening up our home has allowed us to be family to others to get to know them better and be intentional about sharing god's love with them it also helps our children understand what it looks like to serve and love others hospitality for us looks like meals where everyone feels comfortable finding what they need in the kitchen and kids running around being taken care of by whoever's near Hospitality looks like having an open door ready to babysit whenever needed, being generous when needs arrive. It's opening up our home weekly to have ice cream Sundays in the summer in our neighborhood or a cup of tea and a conversation. It also means, obviously, that we have margin to do that kind of stuff, folks. She writes, It's a beautiful thing when God brings together His people in order to bless others and give them a glimpse of His character and love. Recently, we were able to host a party for someone who graduated, and the best part was a sharing time where several people spoke words of encouragement blessing and prayer into this person's life it was a glimpse of the kingdom of god which is truly worth all the work that it sometimes takes to open up your home and your life to others and here's what i'll say i don't want to lie you don't want to bait and switch you on this hospitality is inconvenient at, at the least okay it's going to be some work kids if you're in the room hospitality may mean that you have to share a room with someone so that someone else might have a room Family's hospitality might mean that your grocery budget goes up a lot. That your privacy goes down a lot. It will be a sacrifice. But every bit of that sacrifice can point and give a glimpse 
to a stranger, a neighbor, a coworker, a teammate, the kingdom of God. And so I want to leverage Piper's challenge. Are we conduits of God's hospitality? Are we conduits of God's hospitality? And what might be one way that you can make hospitality part of your rhythm in this season? Because we're going into the summer rhythm, okay? Which I know, here's, here's what I know. I want to I say this. Some of you are in desperate and dire need for a rhythm of rest, and that's okay. Okay? Let me say that. It is okay to rest. It's actually God commands it. We need to rest. So, some of you are in a rhythm where you, you need to go and you, need, you do need to get away a little bit. You have a place that you go to. That's okay. Some of you recreate by hiking or golfing or fishing or camping or, or whatever, boating, whatever that is. That's okay. But as you go and as you rest, let's not forget to be intentional. Let's not forget to be conduits of God's hospitality. Be intentional about who maybe you take with you. Be intentional about maybe those dinners that you have on the deck or the the discussions that you have around the fire. Open your homes. Be intentional about the words that you use to point to the king, the most hospitable king the world has ever known. His name is Jesus. See, if we look back at 1 Timothy 3, and I know I didn't spend a ton of time in it. I was really looking at that one word. But it says, anyone who sets, Paul writes, anyone who sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires or he aspires to a noble task. At the end of the day, the only reason we would aspire to these things or desire these things is because we're actually aspiring to Jesus. That we would actually set our hearts on Him, aspire to Him. He was the only one who was completely above reproach, without sin and blameless. He was the one who is a husband of but one wife, his bride, the church. He was perfectly temperate, cosmically self-controlled, respected even by his enemies, radically hospitable in his death and resurrection as he prepared a place for those who trust in him. He was the perfect teacher. He did hang out with people who got drunk, but he didn't get drunk because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was perfectly gentle, not quarrelsome, and didn't love money, but instead made himself poor so we might become rich in God's mercy and grace. He is the perfect elder, Jesus Christ. He's our hospitable king. And even in his dying, he prepares a place and he sets a table for a feast. And so we're going to celebrate that together now, the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus gave his disciples a meal to remind us of his hospitality in the past, what he has done, and to point us to his hospitality in the future, at the kingdom, in the banquet, and the feast that he has prepared for us. So, if you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus Christ is the perfect overseer, that you have placed your trust in him as he has fulfilled all the qualifications that Paul laid out there perfectly, that he's the only one who truly leads us, that, we fix, that you fix your eyes on Him and, and no one else, then we would invite you, if you've trusted and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, to join us by going to one of the five tables. Um, Christian's going to play some, the band's going to play some music here instrumentally. and going to grab the, the cup and the bread and bring it back to your seats. And then once we're done with that, I'll come back up. We'll lead us together as a family in, in eating and drinking. And then we'll sing in response. So let's pray. 
Father, as we prepare our hearts and come before you, thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for your radical, intentional hospitality. Those of us who were displaced from your kingdom, displaced from your family, have been brought in and brought back through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. His body and his blood, his body broken, his blood shed. As we go to the table, may we be reminded that we are called to open our table up in ways that point to him, to open our homes up in ways that point to the house that you have for us, Father. Open our families up that point us to the fact that your son has made it possible for to be a part of your family again, Father. May we come before you humbly, gratefully, knowing your hospitality. We pray this in Jesus' name.